This is 10 Minutes of Science, a Women in Ophthalmology initiative supported by Johnson & Johnson. We have invited ophthalmologists who are leaders in their field to discuss a journal article of their choice. My name is Robin Troutbeck. I'd like to welcome Dr. Judy Koo to 10 Minutes of Science. Judy is a consultant ophthalmologist at the OCCO Eye Specialist Centre in Brisbane. She is also an honorary clinical professor at the Department of Optometry and Vision Science at the Queensland University of Technology. She undertook a glaucoma fellowship at the Singapore National Eye Centre, specialising in angle closure glaucoma, followed by a corneal fellowship at the University of Toronto. Judy has a number of publications in peer-reviewed journals as well as a book chapter. She has also received a number of awards, including the ASCRS Best Presenter Award. Aside from running her clinical practice, she's also a mother of two teenage boys. Welcome, Judy. Hi, Robin. Thank you so much for inviting me. Could you tell us what paper you've chosen to review today and why did you pick it? Yeah, so I've chosen uh, the ZAP study or the Zhongsheng study, um, and the title of the article is Laser Peripheral Iridotomy for the Prevention of Angle Closure, a Single Centre Randomised Control Trial. Um, this was led by Ming Guanghe, who's actually now based in Melbourne, and a number of world leaders in the field of angle closure glaucoma, including Ting On from Singapore, Paul Foster from the UK, and David Fredman from the US. Can you tell us a bit about how they defined angle closure glaucoma suspect? Yes. So I think it's really important to understand the definition of primary angle closure disease. So um, primary angle closure suspects refers to those patients who have iridotrabecular contact or non-visible uh, pigmented trabecular meshwork in more than 180 degrees, but they're otherwise normal with no disc or field damage. And then primary angle closure refers to those patients with iridotrabecular contact in more than 180 degrees plus development of PAS or raised intraocular pressures. And then primary angle closure glaucoma refers to those who actually have the above features plus the evidence of glaucomatous optic neuropathy or visual field defects. So the importance of uh, this is that um, even though laser peripheral aerodotomy was first line treatment for primary angle closure and primary angle closure glaucoma since the 1970s, um, its actual purpose in primary angle closure suspect is less clear. Um, the reason I chose this article is that I have a real passion in looking after patients with primary angle closure disease. Um, and it really initially stemmed from the fact that during my training, I saw a number of patients who went blind from acute angle closure attacks, which is obviously preventable. And I still vividly remember um, elderly patient um, who was admitted to the hospital with presumed stroke and everybody thought uh, that she um, uh, was developing, developing headaches from uh, a stroke rather than acute angle closure attack. And unfortunately, she lost sight in both eyes while waiting for investigations. And we know that even though there are half as many patients uh, with angle closure glaucoma as open angle glaucoma, those patients with angle closure glaucoma are more likely to result in blindness. And so I decided to do one of the fellowships uh, at Singapore National Eye Centre, and I worked with uh, Ting Ong, who's actually one of the main investigators on this paper. So what did they do in this trial? Who did they recruit? 
Yeah. So it's a randomized control trial based in a single center in China, and they screened over 10,000 uh, patients and identified nearly 800 or nearly 900 uh, patients with bilateral primary angle closure uh, suspects aged between 50 and 70. Um, and they were randomized to having laser peripheral erotomy to one eye and the uh, other eye was used as a control. Um, and the purpose of the study was to try and answer the question whether prophylactic laser peripheral erotomy in primary angle closure suspects will prevent the development of primary angle closure or acute angle closure attacks. So what were their main outcome measures? Uh, so the primary outcome was uh, actually defined as composite of three study endpoints. So uh, they looked at firstly intraocular pressure greater than 24 millimeters of mercury on two separate occasions, or the development of uh, peripheral anterior synechii in at least one clock hour. So overall, these two essentially defines primary angle closure, or if the patient developed acute angle closure attacked. And how long did they follow the patients up for? Yeah, they initially planned to follow patients for 36 months, but um, as the incident was so low, they got together and decided to extend it to six years of follow-up, which is quite long, really. And what did they find? So um, during this time, they uh, confirmed the fact that laser PI was safe and there was no long-term uh, adverse effect. But um, in terms of reaching that endpoint, uh, the primary endpoint, um, the cumulative incidence was only 4.19 per 1,000 eye years in the uh, treated group compared to approximately 8 per 1,000 eye years in the control group. And that was statistically significant, meaning that if you had treatments, you're almost half the risk of developing primary angle closure or acute attack. Um, and amongst all this, a development of PS was the most common endpoint if you haven't had laser PI. But surprisingly, um, the rate of acute angle closure attack was less common than we actually previously uh, thought. Um, and out of the whole group, only five control eyes and one treated eyes actually developed acute angle closure. And this is screening about 10,000 patients. Um, initially in identifying about 900 patients uh, who has who who is a primary angle closure suspect um, and if you look at the group that had pupil dilation and only three of the control patients and one treated patients developed an acute attack so it's actually much lower than we uh, initially thought which was a bit unexpected really uh, compared to uh, other studies that's been uh, done in the past so they use the um, dilation to try to provoke an attack as well. Yeah, so they, interestingly, they, they actually excluded patients who, who um, had greater than 15 millimetres mercury rise in, in chocolate pressure after dilation, and they wanted to dilate them uh, to check for presence of cataract. Mm -hmm. um, so they, they did the dilation uh, on every patient but they also excluded patients who had greater than 15 millimeters rise in uh, IOP, which is interesting because you would think that maybe that group of patients um, is Benefit. a greater risk. Yeah. yeah. So they screened like more than 10,000, but only had about, they had less than 900 in their, yeah. um, in their study. Yes, exactly. So it's a, uh, so about 900 patients with primary angle closure who are primary angle closure suspects. And among that, um, if you treat them, only one had acute angle closure attack and only five controlled. So if you didn't treat them at all, uh, there's only five out of 900 chance that you could develop acute angle closure attack. 
Mm. Yeah, which is somewhat reassuring. Um, yes. What did the authors conclude? Well, um, basically, they confirmed that laser PI does work because it reduced um, the risk of progression to primary angle closure and um, acute angle closure attack, uh, reduced it by about 50%. In saying that the actual numbers were quite low yes. and the numbers needed to treat was uh, 44 to prevent one case of new primary angle closure disease over a period of uh, six years. So because of that, given the low risk, they felt that if you do a large population screening and treat all the patients uh, with prophylactic laser PI, it may not be economical. For example, in China, you know, they have uh, at least 28 million uh, patients with primary angle closure uh, suspects and perhaps you know, doing a population uh, treatment for that group is not economical. Can you tell us things that were done well in the study and mm -hmm. what could have been done better? Yeah. So I guess if you look at all the studies that have been done in the past, this is probably one of the largest population studies. Um, a previous Indian study, they had about 87 patients, you know, and this is about 900 patients. So it is relatively large. Um, the, it was randomized controlled trial, uh, which obviously make it more powerful. And one of the strengths is that they use the other eye as a control. So they yes. have reduced any confounding factors. Um, it's surprisingly, they have very low dropout rates. Um, and they're obviously when they extended to six years, it's a much long-term uh, follow-up. Um, and they found a group that is known to uh, be at high risk of angle closure disease. So basically in conclusion is that, you know, if, if this is such a low rate in the high risk group, then perhaps in a low risk group, uh, the rate of attack will be even lower. And on the other hand, though, uh, the limitations are, I mean, we mentioned before that they actually used the uh, provocation test and they excluded those ones who are at high risk um, yeah. of developing acute attack, which uh, does seem a little bit odd. But on the other hand, they argue that uh, provocation tests have not been shown to be effective in predicting outcomes. And I guess because of the nature of laser PIs, you can't really mask the patient or the examiner uh, from being able to detect that they have had laser PIs. Yes. Um, when they screen the patients, they obviously use gonioscopy rather than ASOCT, but gonioscopy is still standard, but it's subjective and highly variable between examiners. And I guess the results, you know, is currently applicable to a Chinese population um, age between 50 and 70, but other populations may have a different outcome. Um, and there are not as many studies with other populations so far. And the other thing is they defined primary angle closure suspect as having 180 degrees of non-visible trabecular meshwork. But yeah. some of the other studies that's been published so far use 270 degrees as a criteria. So that's okay. a slight difference. Yeah, so um, they may have been a lower risk group in mm, that sense. Okay. So yeah, what so this means then for clinical practice, Judy, have you got any take home messages? Like, how will you treat your patients who are um, angle closures? Mm. <laughs> yeah, so this is, um, I think we have to think about this uh, in uh, two different ways. I think for a large population, if we go ahead and sort of screen everybody, even in the setting in Australia, it is probably not productive. It's not good use of resources uh, from a health uh, economy standpoint. But if I see patients who come into my practice and they'd be identified as having primary angle closure disease, then I would definitely warn them about the potential risk of acute angle closure 
um, especially after dilation. So I would talk to them about the symptoms that they look out for. I give them written information uh, about the potential risks so that they are fully aware rather than just send them away saying, no, your risk is very low, don't worry about it. Yes. Um, because, you know, even though it's one in, say, you know, 900 patients, nonetheless, you know, I have witnessed uh, devastation yeah. from acute angle closure as, you know, many of our colleagues have. And then I think we should tailor our management and perhaps focus on those ones who are at higher risk of blindness. So if the patient comes in with a number of risk factors, then I still think it's not unreasonable to consider laser PI. So for example, in these cases, if they're symptomatic and uh, patients comes and say, I've got intermittent headaches, especially when it's more obvious at nighttime, seeing halos around lights, um, those with very strong family history, especially first degree relatives, yes, um, patients who need regular dilation, such as diabetic patients, uh, vitreal retinal patients, you know, having regular injections, you know, those sort of patients, they are yeah. relatively high risk. And those who live remotely and don't have access to healthcare uh, yes. in an urgent fashion. So this is particularly applicable to like an Australian or New Zealand community where we have larger groups in the uh, remote areas. If the patients have uh, very short axial length and very shallow interior chambers, and relatively thick lenses, I would consider them still at high risk. You know, you have patients with like plus eight doctors, hyperobes, um, you know, less than 2.5 AC depth and very thick lenses. I think you're taking a, a huge risk uh, not uh, applying treatment in this group of patients. Yeah. Yep. Especially as they develop cataract and um, mm. access to surgical treatment at the moment is somewhat limited. Mm, absolutely. The yeah. COVID situation. Look, exactly. So much for coming along today, Judy, and for discussing this pivotal trial. And I'm sure the information you've given us will help us to counsel our patients about the risk and benefits of laser peripheral iridotomy. Thank you so much, Robin. It's uh, really one of my passion. I'm so glad we can share this information with everybody. Thank you so much. Thanks, Judy. Thank you for joining us today on 10 Minutes of Science. See you next time. 